Welcome to episode 155 of the God Stuff Podcast, where we go bigger, better, and deeper, a bigger impact for Christ in the gospel, a better understanding of scripture, how to use and apply it, and a deeper walk with God. Today, I don't know if I'm going bigger or deeper or both, but this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of episode. In fact, this is part one of a two-part mini-series, and I want to talk about someone who has inspired me. So for years, I have said this, and I don't know if you've heard me say this, that if you really want to fire up your Christian walk, read Christian biographies of great Christian heroes of the past. If you're watching on video, you'll see that I have a lot of books behind me, and I have a whole section dedicated to biography. So those biographies really fire me up, my spirit, my soul. And I want to tell a story of one famous Christian from 160 years ago. His name is George Grenfell, G-R-E-N-F-E-L-L. And in this intro, I will say where I heard about him. So I have this book in my library. It's called Giants of the Missionary, Giants of the Missionary Trail by Harrison. And um, this is a pretty old book, 1954, Giants of the Missionary Trail. And it's just got different chapters about different famous missionaries. And I don't even remember where I got this book. But one year I picked it up and was reading. And it tells about the following missionaries. Henry Knott in Tahiti, missionary Tahiti. William Carey, who brought the gospel to India. George Grenfell, who brought the gospel to the Congo. And that's the missionary I'm going to talk about today. I'll come back to him. Adniram Judson brought the gospel to Burma, which is today Myanmar. Samuel Marsden brought the gospel to New Zealand. David Livingston, the pathfinder of Africa. James Chalmers, the missionary who brought the gospel to New Guinea. And then Jonathan Goforth, who is one of the first missionaries to bring the gospel to China. But George Grenfell brought the gospel to the Congo. And I remember just reading one chapter on him in this book. And I was so taken up by the story, and you'll see why in a minute when we get into his story, that I hunted for more information about him, and I found a full-length biography of him. This is called The Life of George Grenfell, Congo Missionary and Explorer by George Hawker, H-A-W-K-E-R. And Grenfell is G-R-E-N-F-E-L-L, George Grenfell. He's the missionary. So I want to show you in the front of this book. This book is from 1909, so it's 100, almost 115 years old. Anyway, there's a picture of the missionary. I want to show them to you just so you know who we're talking about. There's George Grenfell. So if you're watching on YouTube, there's a picture of him. And the book itself, I actually ordered this from England because that's where he's from. But I want to treat it nicely. The book is really old, and but it is full of photographs of his missionary work in Africa. And it's, let's see, if I flip it the other way. So almost every page, you're going to find some photos of his work in Africa. And they're pretty, pretty remarkable. They ought to be our archived, and I may do that someday and save them. But anyway, I'm going to talk about a missionary. I'm going to tell a story. I actually preached about him 2001, 2021, I mean, two, yeah, 2000, no, no, 2000, 2002, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. I told this story here at our church. I'm going to revive the story of him. I'm going to do this in two parts because it's a pretty long story. And I'm going to put my synopsis, my notes up on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, you can follow along on the life and story of this remarkable missionary, George Grenfell. And I remember the first time I preached this, I had a young man come up to me and say, wow, that story should be a movie. And you'll see why. It's just pretty remarkable what he accomplished back in the days when no one knew anything about the interior of Africa. So here we 
go. As always, share this, like this, at least like it, and subscribe. Subscribe that way every time a new episode comes, you're listening to the podcast. And if you want to really go deep in the word, if you want to be equipped to be a champion for grace and truth in a culture of pain and confusion, veritasschool.life, V-E-R-I-T-A-S school.life. So without further ado, let's get into the story of missionary explorer, cartographer, George Grenfell. Welcome to the God Stuff Podcast with Bill Giovanetti, the home of grace-powered living, because grace isn't an app, it's an operating system. Here's Bill. Jesus Christ is the world's only hope. We believe that. Nobody goes to heaven without him. Jesus Christ is our only hope for everlasting life. Nobody finds true joy, true satisfaction without him. Nobody finds power to become whole without him. And nobody finds peace genuine lasting peace without him. People without Christ, we know they certainly do have times of happiness and satisfaction, but we believe that apart from being saved through Jesus Christ, no one can be truly happy, genuinely at peace, and eternally ready for heaven. Our souls were designed for God. Until we have God, we'll never be at rest. And until we have Christ, we'll never have God. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only hope for all the world. And believing this makes God's children ready to bring Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So I want to encourage you, as I've said in the intro, whenever you feel like you need a spiritual shot in the arm, I urge you to pick up a biography of a great Christian. And I'm not talking about modern biographies, although some of those are pretty good, but go back in history because nothing fires up your heart for Christ like a good biography. Now, in this podcast, I want to introduce you to a missionary named George Grenfell. Of all the biographies I have read, and there are hundreds of them, Grenfell's biography ranks at the very top for adventure and for amazement and for inspiration. This man may have been a very small man in stature, but he had a gigantic heart both for Christ and for the people of Africa. He goes down in history as a decorated scientist explorer and cartographer. Both George Grenfell and David Livingston made maps of Africa, not just because they wanted to make maps, but because they wanted to show missionaries and future generations how to get into the continent that had never been mapped before. So George Grenfell was one of those cartographers. But most importantly, Grenfell goes down in the books of heaven as the man who put a steamboat on the mighty Congo River and planted the gospel in the heart of Africa. He did this at a time when maps showed only question marks on the interior of the continent. He did this at a time when slave trade was killing thousands of people, when colonialism was treating people like property, and cannibalism was the order of the day. It was normal in Africa. Today, Africa is actually more Christian than Europe. Today, Africa is experiencing revival, and many of the leaders of the church there are the spiritual ancestors of George Grenfell. Here is his story. Okay, so here we go. George Grenfell was born in 1849 in England, the son of a carpenter. He would have actually grown up in the local Anglican church, but a bully there kept beating up young George. So his family moved over to the Baptist church. Grenfell grew up during England's golden age of preaching, I would say. You had these great pulpit giants throughout the land who raised the level of preaching everywhere. So Spurgeon was preaching at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Joseph Parker was preaching. Alexander White, F.B. Meyer. Parker was actually in the U.S., but other names forgotten to us. But in the history of preaching, some of the very best preachers in history were during this era of the mid-1800s 
while George was just a boy. In 1859, revival swept England. There was an evangelist named D.L. Moody, and I've talked about him in this podcast, who came and preached in England and thousands came to Christ. Churches were filled. People loved the gospel. And they also loved bringing the gospel to people who had never heard. It was in the aftermath of this revival at age 15 that George Grenfell was saved, and later on he was baptized. His Sunday school teacher kept George supplied with books about great missionaries. And you know, when I was young, people did that for me. I got a biography of David Livingston. I got a biography of Jonathan Goforth and of William Carey. And I thought it was cool because, you know, my name was William and he inspired me. The guy brought the gospel and printing and the message of Christ to India. Give kids biographies of great missionaries. Anyway, through such books, Grenfell found his heroes in David Livingston, who was a pioneer missionary to Africa, and a guy named Alfred Saker. Alfred Saker, just this amazing missionary, brought the gospel to the coast, coastal regions of Africa. These were pioneer missionaries to Africa who soon became George's heroes. Okay, Throughout his teenage years, this is a teenager. George was on fire for Christ. Listen to his Sunday schedule. And again, remember, he's only a teenager. 7 o'clock prayer meeting. 9.30 Sunday school followed immediately by church. After church services, George and his friends distributed gospel literature to houses and passers-by. At 2.30 p.m., another hour of Sunday school followed by a quick lunch and journey to two rural villages where they passed out more literature and then would conduct an open-air church service on a piece of prairie. Then back to church for an evening service and a final prayer meeting. So this is Sunday's for the teenager George Grenfell. George and his buddies formed their own theological society. They actually wrote papers on important biblical topics. They met weekly to hear those papers and to study a wide range of the Bible's teaching. Can I just throw in here, how did you spend your teenage years? Um, early in his Christian life, George strenuously applied himself to the cause of the gospel, knowing that what he had found in Christ was the world's only hope. Now, it was at this time that the newspapers ran exciting stories of explorer missionaries like Livingston and Saker. These stories captivated Grenfell's imagination so that by his early 20s, he was itching to serve as a missionary. God had touched his heart with a plight of people who never heard. George Grenfell went to Baptist Missionary School for a year of training. He found his studies boring. He had to force himself to do homework. He was an excellent athlete. He had a remarkable mechanical aptitude. This would come in handy years later, That, and you'll see why this mechanical aptitude would help him. His fellow students love him. He could take a joke as well as give one. In fact, there's a story in the full biography where he plays a prank on the kids in his school and just wakes them all up in the middle of the night. It's, and it involves some intricate engineering. It's pretty cool. In his heart, though, he yearned to bring the gospel overseas. He was tired of preparing and he wanted to go. George wrote in a letter to a friend, Here I have lived in the world these four and twenty years and have not yet begun to do, only to prepare. And they've always been going to do. I wonder if my life will be as resultless in the future as it has been in the past. If this getting ready is to be the chronic condition of my being. Well, it wouldn't be the chronic condition and the results of his life would be remarkable. He was impatient to get going. But in his letter, he wisely concludes, and I would say this to anybody who wants to make a difference for Christ, I can't expect to forge the weapons for so great a fight in a hurry. 
If I do, I must not expect them to last. Okay, I think that's pretty remarkable insight for such a young man. Well, it was decided that Grenfell would join the missionary in Africa, Alfred Saker. He was getting older, and they wanted to give him someone to follow on in his footsteps. Saker was Grenfell's hero already, so nothing could have delighted him more. He had spent 30 years in the Cameroons. Now, if you look at a map of Africa, on the left side, there's the bulge. And just under the bulge, you'll find the Cameroons. And this is where Alfred Saker had been now bringing the gospel for 30 years. Saker established churches. He established missionary outposts. And by the time Grenfell came to join him, Saker was old. The biographer writes that Saker's physique was frail beyond telling, almost ghostly. But when he spoke, one realized that every fiber of him was steel surcharged with magnetism. Oh, I think that's amazing. And the biographer goes on to say, Grenfell stood near the aged Saker, drinking in every word with the happy absorption of a man who is in close and friendly touch with a hero of his dreams. Saker embodied the truth that if you are determined enough and passionate enough, you can overcome any obstacle to accomplish your dreams. So it was with Alfred Saker that George Grenfell began his first phase of bringing the gospel to Africa. In 1874, at age 25, George Grenfell first stepped foot in Africa. He instantly fell in love with the native people. George found them to be warm, intelligent, fun-loving. He had no illusions, however, that his life was in constant jeopardy. Saker ran a very well-established base camp, and George fit right in. There was a print shop for producing Christian literature and Bibles. There was a foundry. There was a blacksmithing shop to keep everything else running smoothly. There was a church run largely by converts from Saker's ministry. There were several missionary homes, complete with cooks and housekeepers. Every day, teams paddled up the rivers into Africa's coastal interiors to bring the gospel, and George joined these teams. They kept a lookout for hippos that would upset their canoes, and crocodiles ready to devour the paddlers. How far would you go to bring somebody the gospel? On one of his first expeditions, they paddled to a village that had never seen a white man before. Grenfell sat in the boat at the edge of the village and through an interpreter began preaching. George's white skin caused quite a commotion and people flocked to the shore to see him. In his diary, George wrote that he must have seemed like a boogeyman clad in terrors to the children, he said they ran away and screamed in the most frantic manner, falling over one another pell-mell. On another expedition, Grenfell rode five or six hours to bring the gospel to a certain village. He determined he didn't want to sleep in the canoe, so finding a dilapidated house, he asked for the local chief's permission to spend the night there, but he was kept up all night by mosquitoes and rats and mice and lizards, he said, of exceptional vigor and audacity. One of the lizards tried to make a bed in George's hair, but fortunately the hair was too short and the lizard moved on. The deeper George paddled into the continent, the more he faced the dangers of cannibalism. A standard part of warfare in the Congo was eating the flesh of defeated foes. This was believed to give them the energy and the spirit and the vitality of the person they ate. Most men wore necklaces made of teeth from their human victims. Slaves and captives were routinely 
butchered and sold off one part at a time. George wrote that there were benefits to being thin in this part of the world. And he also described, it was pretty horrific, a slave would be tied to a post in the market and a buyer could come and buy off one piece at a time, one limb at a time, and they would hack off an arm or hack off a leg, keep the person alive as long as possible. That's pretty horrific. During this first phase, George fell in love and married. His wife was Miss Mary Hawks. She shared his love for Christ. She shared his love for the African people. They were overjoyed when in their year of marriage, the Grenfells discovered they would soon have a child. But, and it's sad, this joy turned to sorrow when the baby was born. The baby was stillborn. So George then buried his first child on the shores of the Congo River. And then, you know, the story goes on with more tragedy as his beloved wife took ill and died. It was a heavy blow, and George could scarcely talk or write about it. He dug his second grave alongside the Congo and buried his wife there. George wondered how he could be so quickly deprived of one he loved so dearly. But in spite of his questions, he never stopped loving God, and he never gave up on his dreams to bring the gospel to the interior of Africa. Sometimes God's choicest servants pay the highest prices, but they also reap the greatest rewards. Now, the missionary group that Grenfell joined under Alfred Saker concentrated on the coastal regions of Africa, but George had a passion to bring the gospel to the interior of Africa. No one had successfully penetrated that region. Now, David Livingston had walked across Africa four times, mapping it and preaching the gospel and fighting the slave trade, but no one had really established any missionary outposts in the interior of Africa. And the Congo River flowed from the interior out to the ocean, but paddling up it was impossible. The Congo River was blocked by waterfalls, many high waterfalls. It was impossible for a boat to go upstream. Plus, the jungles were too thick. Plus, the tribes were too fierce for land expeditions. Plus, there were no maps of the region. No one even knew how long the Congo River could be. No one knew what mysteries lay in the interior of Africa. The maps just had the word unknown on the interior of Africa. And we today, with our satellite technology and GPS and Google Earth, I mean, we can look anywhere at any time. They had no no such resources at their disposal. This was, here's a big chunk of land. There are people in there. They need Christ. How are we going to figure out how to get in there? It has to be on water, but it's all upstream. So what are we going to do? George knew there were people there that needed Christ. They needed the gospel. They needed to be saved. They were dying every day with a Christless eternity. So George prayed that God would give him the means to bring the gospel inland. He started praying while, at the same time back in England, a wealthy man named Arthington went to the Baptist Missionary Society and said, we're going to give you a 100,000 pounds. Now, today, that's millions of dollars in today's money. They gave the Baptist Missionary Society 100,000 pounds for the purchase of a steamship and 3,000 pounds, more millions, to be carefully invested so that the interest that with the money they build the steamship and with the interest they could perpetually maintain the steamship. So Grenfell's prayers are answered, but how to get this thing upstream, how to get this thing miles and miles into the interior to get past all the waterfalls on the Congo River Basin. They had no idea. So Grenfell knew about this. He was called back to England. He went from Africa back to England. And by the way, you know, I say this in a sentence, but travel was hard. 
They couldn't even hop an airplane. This is all by ship. So he goes back to England to supervise the construction of the British Missionary Society's ship, British Missionary Society, BMS, and it was called, it was christened the BMS Peace, the British Missionary Society Peace. The ship was 70 feet long, 14 feet wide. It drew only 12 inches of water. That means when it sat in the water, it only went down 12 inches. So it'd go through really shallow water and narrow canals. The piece was powered by a wood-burning steam engine. Now, I said earlier that George was a mechanical genius. God was really preparing him. And the little ship was flawless in its design. The piece, this is in England now, was fully assembled. It was tested on the Thames River in London, up and down the river. And then, so they have the ship put together with the steam engine and everything. It's all assembled. They're running it up and down the river in London. And then Grenfell supervised that the ship was taken apart. And they packed it piece by piece in over a thousand boxes. No box weighed more than 65 pounds. Each box was sewn in waterproof canvas. Each box was numbered, carefully cataloged. They knew what was in each box. In box number 812, they knew what was in that box. So that if a box were lost on the journey, they knew what they lost and the part could be duplicated and replaced. When Grenfell brought these thousand boxes sewn in waterproof canvas back to Africa, he was accompanied by two engineers. Two engineers accompanied George on the long voyage back to Africa to reassemble the BMS piece. Upon landing in Africa, Grenfell enlisted over a thousand porters. These are paid porters who are going to now bring these thousand boxes of a ship on a long trek above the waterfalls and the rapids of the Congo River. Because he didn't know it at the time. But once they got above all that, the Congo River Basin covers the most, most of the interior of Africa. They can get anywhere once they got above the falls and all the rapids. Okay, so you got a thousand people, you've got a thousand boxes, you've got all the provisions, you've got armed guards accompanying you. And you've got the gospel. This is George Grenfell. The first stage took five weeks just to get to the mouth of the river. Five weeks. Mosquitoes, jungle. Then they had a voyage of 110 miles in canoes upstream. I mean, I'm saying it in a sentence, but can you imagine the adventure and the hardship of every minute of that with a thousand plus people? Okay, so five weeks march just to get to the mouth of the Congo, 110 miles paddle in canoes upstream with all this stuff. Following that, three stages of carrying these boxes. Stage one, 60 miles. Stage two, 70 miles. Stage three, 100 miles above the last of the falls. Again, I, I mean, I don't even have to say anything there. To me, it just blows my mind. And no roads, no paths even, just thick jungle. They're hacking their way through 60 miles, then 70 miles, then 100 miles to finally get above the last of the falls. At times, the caravan stretched out over a mile long through ravines that were so deep, they had to use ropes and pulleys to move the boxes. They braved very high, narrow ledges. They braved rushing tributaries and water, constant danger from wild animals, and constant danger from hostile natives. This was a monumental undertaking. It should be a, a movie. But George Grenfell believed that God could do the impossible. And finally, the BMS piece was delivered upstream above 
the last of the falls on the Congo River. The trip was not without its costs, however. Both of the engineers sent to assemble the ship died en route. Let me just pause here. Just think of these young men and now their families. Wow. A substitute engineer was dispatched from England, but he couldn't survive the trek and he died too. And all I can say is that George Grenfell must have been really tough to survive such an ordeal. And he was remarkably brilliant too, for Grenfell himself assembled the steamship and launched it on the Congo River. All of this just to spend a lifetime bringing Christ to people in spiritual darkness. Christ to people who needed a savior. And when we really believe the gospel is precious and that souls are priceless, we'll do anything to bring the gospel to those who have not heard. So George begins now the second phase of his missionary service up on the Congo River Basin in the heart of Africa. And that's where we will pick the story up next time. Thanks for listening. Catch us on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the God Stuff Podcast. Find out more at godstuff.tv.